Yes. How are you feeling? I'm feeling so much better. So, so much better. Thank you to everybody out there that was sending me warm wishes and checking in on me and seeing how I was doing. I'm doing good. Feel good. Feel a little bit more revived and everything else, which you'll probably see in today's episode. You know, I'm coming in hot, just to let y'all know. But yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. How are you? Well, you know, there's been a lot going on, like I said, behind the scenes. Um, Indeed. You know, um, I don't want to get into that right now, though. Uh, but All good. But there are a lot of, as you know, there are a lot of, you know, good things. Everything is shiny and brand new floating on clouds and all that good stuff so nice 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 mm -hmm. well you ready to get into today's episode because we got a lot i am i'm so ready like hell yeah yeah because i was like really really bummed out that i couldn't do yesterday's episode or last week's episode live but you know hopefully like for folks that were paying attention you know you were able to see some of the things but i'll be able to explain them today um but yeah, so I'm really excited. I uh, hope that everybody was able to also enjoy that episode that we dropped. Um, I tend to keep some of those episodes in the background just in case if something transpires. You know, that episode I think was filmed back in January. So it's interesting how it's starting to be. Hopefully, like, the things that we release are very, like, relevant across the board, no matter what. So... But let's get into it. What's up, everybody? I am Mark Monroe, accompanied by my wonderful co-host, co-producer, co-creator, and good friend, and coming through with the swag I see over there. All things brand new, freshly twisted, and everything else. Give it up for none other than Lady. It's Jill and GC in the place to be. What does it, cousins, on this fine Tuesday? Yes, and on this fine Tuesday, welcome to another episode of The School of Investing. Now, this one's going to be a little bit interesting because you get to see exactly kind of like what my notes look like a little bit and me going back and like kind of like just taking you through some of the chart stuff. But if you haven't subscribed yet, though, because you definitely need to subscribe because there's a ton of other great content that also like is in our bag that you can go back and look at and keep watching so that way you can gain more perspective and rewatch it again just to see exactly like hey did you actually pick it up um and then on top of that go ahead and like this video it doesn't take that much to just click that like button we, we were totally gracious we're we are totally grateful if you do and on top of that if you want to be in the know just like how Raphael hey, said i am ready <laughs> he was ready, ready to go ready. <laughs> <laughs> then go ahead and hit that bell so that way you can be a part of the notification squad, aka the Cool Kids Club. So, Jolynn. Yes. Get into it. All right. You can see that I'm amped. So, like, I got like two weeks worth of energy. Like, you know, I sat okay. back, I waited. You know, I was sitting there in the in the darkness. I, I felt like I understood what it was like to go back to the shadows and just like you know regain my energy and okay. regain perspective. I'm ready. Yeah, I just have to say it was a nice, uh, I mean, while you were suffering, you know, I, I did keep you up in prayer, but I was on vacation. So, you know, I was willing to, you know, show up if we needed to for the show. But I'm also glad that you rested because Mark, you like, just be I don't rest. Yeah. And you really get to take the opportunity to rest. So I'm glad that you are healed. The healing vibes are up. Um, so let's get into these markets. So y'all, today is Tuesday and, you know, the market was flat. So let's talk about it. So the Dow was negative 222.84 points. So now we're at a level of 32,990.12. The S&P 500 was negative 26.09 points, which leaves us at a level of 4,132.15. The NASDAQ was down negative 49.74. At 12,081 uh, 39 and the US tenure 2.86%. Interesting, interesting. We'll talk more about that. Um, and the VIX coming down a little bit to 26.19. Heading over to sector performance, as you know, there are 11 sectors. We track the top three and the bottom three so we can see what that rotation is looking like. We got consumer discretionary, communication services, and financials in the top three. I will note that financials are um, negative, along with the following utilities, materials, and energy. Interesting <laughs> about energy, Mark. Energy has really been up um, all, I mean, since last year, really. It's been I up. think since November of 2021. 
So, um, you know, just something to just be be mindful, be mindful of that. Um, I was, I'll go back. I'll bring this up in a, in a moment. Anyway, so we have um, our picks, y'all. So if you're new here, you can find the Come Up Series picks, aka the Sips, on our Instagram page at that uh, Come Up Series. And we have Amazon with a respectable 4.40 percentage points to the upside. Nike holding it up to 2.47 percentage points. And Signature Bank up 2.26 percentage points. Now for the bottom feeders, we have Unity bringing it down to, uh, let's see, they got a negative 3.27%, CrowdStrike negative 4.09%, and Zscaler negative 4.32%. So as you can see, Mark, see that balance? There's four over a little over 4% to the upside and a little over 4% to the downside. So that is very, very interesting. So in mm -hmm. the top-up series fashion, we want to shout out Brian Clyette, our historian, so we can talk about some black history all the way until we get to Juneteenth, which is one of my favorite holidays, and it is right around the corner. So here we go. Today we're going to be talking about uh, Frank Green from 1938 to 2009. Frank Green is often hailed as one of the first black technologists. He developed high-speed semiconductor computer memory systems in the 1960s at Fairchild Semiconductor Research and Development Labs. He would later go on to start new technology companies of his own. He also founded a VC firm called New Vista Capital, which focused on minority and female-led companies. His legacy as a technologist and an investor lives on today. He's also among 63 inductees in the Silicon Valley Engineering Council's Hall of Fame. Give it up for Frank Green. Now, what's interesting, Mark, is like there are so many similarities between you two. Interesting. Very, very <laughs> interesting. Um, it's always dope to like find an ancestor um, who you know, has left some, um, a trail of what they are doing and then you pick up that torch and carry on. So, you know, shout out to Frank Green. If you didn't know about Frank Green, feel free to look more into that. Um, so Mark. Yes. Now, there are so much to cover. So we definitely have to get into that chart that you dropped last uh -huh. week via uh -huh. a tweet. We definitely want to get into that. Because then also Mark, you know, um, Biden, was meeting he met with uh with the fed today yep. and um there was some conversation to be had and i guess the main thing that i took away from that as i was just reading um different articles on it is you know biden is in this position where he wants to show the american people that yes i'm aware and i'm attuned to all of these high prices um i don't want to step on the fed's toes i want the mm -hmm. fed to be independent which is it's in my opinion, it's good to have that balance, you know, like let the Fed do what they do, you know, what they're mm -hmm. with. Um, but again, it is a balancing act. We have, you know, inflation on the one hand, interest rates on the other hand, you know, all the tapering talks, and then we're trying to avoid recession, right? Mm -hmm. So I think a couple episodes, Mark, you talked about um, there being a global recession, but the U.S. Mm -hmm. remaining strong. So I know we're going to get into that. So that's cool. Um, and then I don't know if you've been following the Shanghai, um, you know, the lockdown, the COVID lockdown, mm -hmm. Shanghai. I definitely want to talk about like, um, how other markets are impacted. Markets are impacted exactly. And also okay. these sanctions on, um, Russia's oil from you, the EU, who was basically like, look, we all, the, the leaders came together and was like, okay, look, we all agree. We're about 90% of this oil from Russia is about to be sanctioned. And Russia basically was like, um, we will find importers. Okay. Like if y'all don't want to mess with us, we will find importers. But Mark, the question is, who is that likely to be? Is that India? Because you know, last time India was like, now look, we ain't gonna say too much <laughs> neutral. So, you know, do you see it as India? Is there some other people? Um well, you have the other players in OPEC also. So, you know, you have Saudi Arabia, you know, and many of those countries that are tied to the oil cartel that mm -hmm. they can also, you know, become massive suppliers. The United States can ramp up even more production and also become a major supplier. So there's other there's other ways. And I think that another thing is there's conversation now starting to transpire really about rethinking energy 
in the sense of, you know, so that way we could prevent even something from this either escalating where it can literally have significant impacts or, you know, really shocks to the market and really start putting that that investment towards alternative renewable energy. Um, I think that those conversations are starting to be had in specific circles. But I think yeah, they're going to look towards other. They're going to look at the other players in OPEC to ultimately carry the to carry the load. Now we look at some of the other sectors that make up, or not these sectors necessarily, but we look at the the industry, not just the sector, but the industry of energy. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Then we break down the different sectors within the industry. Um, it looks like alternative energy is experiencing an upward trend of growth for this year. So that is very telling that what you're talking very. about like being able to expand um our, our yeah. uses you know yeah you got solar you got you know of course wind you got hydro um you even have other things like biodiesel you also have say for example things where they're using algae to create uh renewable energy as well mm -hmm. um those things haven't really like really take taken the lead as much as you know, here it is. We've made. There's been billions of dollars of investments that have been made. Um, it's kind of interesting that how how they've made those investments towards research and R and D, but yet they haven't really started to solidify themselves in the in the mass market or in Main Street mm -hmm. markets. So it, it would be interesting to see how that transpires. But you know, like the good old Chinese proverb says, "All great things take time." But it's going to be interesting exactly how that timeline is going to be challenged, especially when the world is like, okay, it's time. It's, mm -hmm. it's time to come up with an alternative solution. Okay, so speaking of timelines, can we mm -hmm. look at that chart? <laughs> I was trying to segue, you know. But I know. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, let's do it. Um, and I was really, really excited to share this mm -hmm. last week. But, you know, it's good to actually okay. just go ahead and just drop into it. So for those of you that are here with us tonight, um, and I'm going to just let this take a full screen so yeah. that way we can like literally not have any type of any distractions associated. So here is a chart of the S&P 500. So if you're if you're playing along with us, and I hope you are, I want you to play I want you to play along with me because there's going to be some things that I'm also going to show you uh, if you've been using, say, for example, such a trading platform like TradingView. Um, where you can use some tips and tricks to actually like make some alternative charts for yourself. So of course this is a, a S&P 500 index um, where like pretty much the basic SPX that we're all accustomed to, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay, this is where it gets a little bit interesting because of course if you look at the S&P 500 you would say okay hey well you know I'm not really seeing a trend here but if I draw say for example a simple trend uh, from really 20, 2016, you'll probably see across the board that essentially that we've stayed on a specific ping line um, and we stayed tried and true to it um, across the board. So let me make sure that my, uh, oh, okay. So TradingView doesn't want to be my friend today. Okay, great. There we are. So again, it's like we pretty much have stayed across this trend line and every single time that the market has pinged it, it's like, okay, hey, we're, we're here. Now, I'm going to remove this because this is the basic SPX chart, but I feel like we need to go a little bit even further in depth. So what we're going to do is, on our S&P 500 chart, what I'm going to do is, instead of going in SPX, I'm actually going to go with US 100, mm -hmm. and I'm going to put that on my chart. So now I got US 100. So US 100, um, which is the currency view, uh, currency.com view, it gives me the NASDAQ 100. So this is technically the NASDAQ 100. Now what I'm going to do even further is I'm going to put a slash and then I'm going to put US 500. Now of course for everybody that knows that represents US 100, NASDAQ 100, US 500, S&P 500. I'm going to hit enter and then boom. Now of course I've done some amazing magic here for you guys so that way you can see some of the things here and remember that trend line that was drawn? Well look at that. Boom. When you put it now here now when you put it at 2016 which is where we started and pretty much run that trend line all the way across the board you'll start to see something as it pertains to a long-term trend so mm -hmm. is it interesting that at the same time that where we've bounced off of this one two 
three, four, five times, every single time we've pen that we've pinged this trend line, we've bounced off of it. Now, of course, of course, we go green and then maybe have some some subtleness. Now, this is on a weekly base. If I put it on a daily, then that's when it really starts to make some significant sense. So if I restart this chart and then put it here, now you start to see that, oh, okay, one, two, and you see a few times, even when we retested. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So we've pinged this trend line eight times. Now, again, this is the equivalent of the NASDAQ. This is the NASDAQ 100 and the S&P 500. So just so that way you know, so if you go and look at it, you just literally type in US 100 front slash US 500. And that's how it's gonna pull up this chart on your screen. Now you may have noticed that I've drawn up a few like items on, on this line. What if I was to tell you that there's certain things that could have actually, say for example, alerted you or made you like you know, kind of like aware that these things were, you know, that, that were on the horizon. Now, remember, Jolyn, remember, you've been hearing me talk about the U.S. 10-year Treasury mm -hmm. yield. I've been talking about that for a minute now, and so here's the reason why. Let's go back into the screen. So as you see here, we have the U.S. 10-year on the chart, right? So it's, it's here for us all to see. We can all see it. Boom. And I'm going to put it back on the weekly base so that way everybody can have access to it. Now, notice these top parts here, okay? Mm -hmm. All right. What happens if I put in the U.S. 10-year and set it on a new price scale? What if exactly to the T, oh, wow. it, it literally topped out in the same level and where you saw in 2021 of February and then also where we topped out in November of 2021 where you saw that the but again this is US 500 and US 100 and US 500 so Nasdaq 100 and S&P 500 combined exactly where they topped out and then if i even go even further look at exactly where we've come down to in the 10 year back in 2020 all the way down to really that August 2015 level so if i was able to draw this chart cuz mind you it doesn't go that far out so it kind of has a cutoff but if you look at it, it's little as we all know, the 10 year has literally been an inverse to the US and the US 100 and US 500. So, but the interesting thing is, look at the levels in which that I was able to draw. So here we topped out and then of course we had some breakages here. So again, we got to what is it? A three and a almost a three and a half or so about a three and a quarter for the US 10 year. We try to go back up and challenge those levels again, but again, we topped out about a 3.15, 3.14 haha <laughs> pie, shout outs to it. Uh, and, and then we bottomed, or we had a slight little uh, support level here at, again, a 2.74, and then of course we bounced off of it, and then here we sit at this level of a 2.87, because it tried to jump up to a 2.94 today, and it literally just retreated from that. And then this is where we close. So it's very, very interesting. But if you notice, we're still hanging on to this long-term trend line of what you see here. Now, of course, the ratio here is about a three. Other interesting point is, is that the fact is, is that when you think about the, you know, when you think about the Fed, I think that their target will be at a 3% inflation rate when it's all said and done. So something to watch when you see this chart. So again, I'm going to like zoom in a little bit for everybody so that way you can kind of see exactly, again, this is where we topped at. This is where we topped out at for the U.S. 10-year back in 2018. So it was in October of 2018 where we topped out in the U.S. 10-year, exactly to the T where we topped out for U.S. equities. And again, the bottom here for I mean, which ultimately signals when we got to this level, the market was completely bullish, of course. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, when we bounced up off of this line of that two point of that two point one or let's say at pretty much negative uh, real rates, then essentially the market started when we started going up in the yield. Of course, the market started to get choppy. And thus, here we are. Now, look at this. Now, normally when you see these swoons that go this, this diabolical move to the bottom, mm -hmm. expect to probably get ready to see a diabolical move 
in the near future, or, and, I'm, and what I mean by near future, probably the next over the next six to twelve months. Mm -hmm. Don't be surprised if you see that U.S. ten-year also head back down to the downside in the same diabolical way that it went to the upside. Okay. So something that I just wanted to easily share with folks because you can do some maneuvering with like some of these things in which that you can see that there's actually some relativity within the market. Every, it's like, and the thing is, is like we pay so much close attention to all the things that take place in the short term that sometimes we forget to step back and zoom out and see things on a much more grandiose level. Like, imagine it like this. And, you know, I'm going to step into your world for a hot second, Jolyn, so please don't, please don't butcher me too hard if I get it wrong. All right. All right. Imagine you're sitting in a gallery and somebody, like, literally puts you directly, like, face-to-face -face with a painting. Your perspective and view only gets to see exactly the, the vantage point of what your eyes can see. So you really can't see the actual full-fledged art. You can probably see the scrapes of paint, the brush, the brush strokes at a very close distance, but you can't see exactly what the canvas is about. You can probably see a few colors, but that's it. But it's not until you step out and you actually see the full-fledged picture, the full-fledged imagery, the full-fledged story, where the image actually starts to tell you the story. And it's the same way that I look at it when we look at it in the market. This, to me, is like if I'm just looking at a simple brush stroke. Mm -hmm. But if I zoom out, now I get to actually see a true canvas of what is it that the artist or, say, for example, the market is trying to illustrate and tell me. So now I actually have a true-fledged narrative of what the market has just shown us. And this is very interesting because, again, it shows us exactly like, okay, hey, could the bond market be a way to help us predict the stock market? You know, does the bond market dictate the stock market? Or does the stock market dictate the bond market? To anybody that's worked on Wall Street, they will always tell you the bond market also always, if not always, dictates what's going to happen in the stock market. Which, which leads us into one of our questions. The bond market versus the stock market. Let's get into it. Okay, so let's take a look at this. So I'm going to go back to this chart that we've shown up on the screen. And, you know, again, I can, I can even throw in some other things in here, like, for example, U.S. 20-year. I'll even throw that in there just, just for, for giggles. And as you can see, the U.S. 20-year is like kind of like all over the place. Right. Very, very volatile, very much so. Um, I think that we're going on some significant roller coasters. And if I was to show you even other, uh, if I was to show you other places of other treasury yields, it shows you, a, it also will show you a picture. But let me leave it up there for a hot second because bonds affect the stock market because when bonds go down, stock prices tend to go up, as you can see on this chart. So when you look at it across any board, yes, when you see the bond market go down or when you see bonds go down, stock prices tend to go up. And the opposite happens when bonds go up, stock prices tend to go down. Now, in some cases, we see them both go up at the same time. Like, for example, in this particular case where we saw it go up and we saw it, they both went up. Now, mind you, the stock market sometimes can be a lagging indicator. But why is this? This happens when there's too much money or AKA liquidity chasing too few investments. Now, remember this for everybody that wanted as, as a refresher. When we saw the market back in 2021, there was very few companies that were actually lifting the S&P 500 last year. So if you think about it, there was very few companies, but they, they like it was really the top mega cap to, uh, stocks, tech stocks, that were literally pushing the S&P 500 up to its new highs. A lot of the other companies in the S&P 500, they were along somewhat for the ride, but yet at the same token, it's like, you know, it was really like, you know, your companies like Apple, Microsoft, and all those other major cap that were literally lifting it. So what happens when you get, and when you start seeing that, anytime when you start seeing that, it's a very few set of companies that are ultimately lifting the stock market, that's letting you know that we're getting a little, we're getting toppy in the stock market. So which means that we're literally just, we're on our last little leg of exhaustion, and then essentially we could be taking a tumble. And exactly what happened, you saw a lot of those capped stocks started to get hit, and then mega cap started to get hit, and then, of course, the S&P 500 went for a ride. 
And this could incur this could incur like take place also when some investors are optimistic and others are very pessimistic. So you have pretty much a, an inflow or influx of differences as it pertains to sentiment. And then there's times in which that they both fall, which we've probably seen throughout the year where we saw the bond market or the 10-year treasury drop, but yet at the same token, the stock market also went down as well. Now, those things tend to happen, but this happens when investors are in panic and sell. Uh, they're in panic mode and selling off their investments. So that typically takes place, and we saw that also throughout this year. Now, let's bring it into perspective. Because once upon a time, we had a, we had a gentleman by the name of Christopher Bush on the show. Mm -hmm. And he talked about a lot of things, but one thing in particular he brought up, and it's a very much so, you go ask any financial advisor, like a, a legit financial advisor. If you go ask any legit financial advisor out there, they will tell you they, their focus for anybody's investment portfolio is broken into one of two categories. It's either your growth or your income. Mm -hmm. Now, nine times out of ten, when you're younger, they're going to focus more so towards growth because you can take the hit. So, if you're going to be in stocks, you're going to go towards, you know, you're going to go towards equities or other vehicles within that same type of mantra because of the fact that you're in growth mode. You you still are at the very beginning, or you're still in the very high period of earning potential in your life. So, again, you can afford to take those risks. But as you get older, you start to notice that essentially that they will start to adjust your portfolio so that way it focuses more towards income. So dividends, um, bonds, those types of things. So when the market gets a little bit choppy and also when people start to get spooked, don't be surprised when people start to run to the bond market. Why? Because the bond market is it, a signal that people are starting to focus more so towards income. Now, how do we know this? Look towards, like, say, for example, specific trigger words, aka cash flows. So, like, for example, free cash flow. How much free cash flow are you holding on to? Meaning that, say, for example, of your income, how much are you holding on to, especially in a tight market? So, remember earlier in the year, I said, hey, in this type of market, it's going to be one of those typical things where it's like you can bend, but you can't break when it comes to your earnings because earnings definitely still matter. They really matter like in times like this. And what they want to know is, say, for example, earnings growth. So PEG or earnings growth just in simplicity, but they also want to know about free cash flow. So, for example, how much are you able to hold on to or how much are you, say, for example, not holding on to? Because in this typical market, then we look towards those as areas and levels of strength. So, when we start to see that a lot of those companies that didn't really have strong free cash flow, aka a lot of those companies that went public over the last two years, and, there's, and, and it's not to say that a lot of those companies are bad companies at all. It just goes to show you that a lot of those companies didn't have strong free cash flow. Like, for example, your Apples, your Microsofts, and many of those other companies that are sitting there, say, for example, maybe down 20% for the year. But meanwhile, you see these other companies that don't have that type of stability. They're down anywhere from about 70 to roughly almost 88% year to date or period. So those things tend to matter. And they tend to matter very quickly for investors. So, something to keep in mind as, as we move forward, that essentially that when we're looking forth, those are going to be the things that are going to be trigger words in the next, over these next few earnings cycles. And the next earnings that you're going to hear about, you're going to hear a heavy duty amount of, one, free cash flow, uh, EPS, and also whether or not you're seeing uh, income or or earnings slow down or earnings still intact or earnings uh, earnings at a, at a steady or at a strong growth still earnings at a strong growth and beating on the top and bottom line they're going to be magnificent companies now they may take a hit in the stock market in the short term but in the grand scheme of things they'll be just fine so then there's this other thing that where we look at it from a standpoint of okay well what kind of dictates the bond market mm -hmm. well I think that one's pretty easy right when we look at the things that can dictate the bond market, that's where it starts to get more and more economical. So when we think about it, 
one of the indicators that like a lot of people are talking about uh, PCE and uh, CPI numbers for core inflation and stuff like that. You want to know what my favorite indicator is, Jolyn? What's your favorite indicator? My favorite indicator is actually the purchasers, uh, the purchasing managers index. So mm -hmm. AKA PMI. And the reason why, so just as a heads up, I'm going to read the definition for everybody. The PMI is an index of the prevailing direction of economic trends in the manufacturing and services in the service sectors. So things in which that are produced, things in which that are like, so a lot of factors there and it, and it represents 19 sectors. So 19 sectors are represented in the PMI. It consists of a diffusion index that summarizes whether market conditions as viewed by purchasing managers are expanding, staying the same, or contracting. This is very key when you look at the PMI because of the fact that the PMI is measured by a level of 0 to 100. Now, 9 times out of 10, you're going to be in a, in a range of about between in a good expanding market, you're going to probably see anywhere from 50 to roughly 75, and in some cases, 85 at max. I mean, it's very rare to find yourself out there in a 90 and 100, but in that case, it's like, yo, it's like money is flowing all over the place and everybody is just investing. I wouldn't be surprised to see that transpire as we move forward in years to come, but as it stands right now, we're probably sitting in an arena of between 50 to 60, and that's typically still good. When you look at 50 to 60, that's still good because we're still in the expansion phase. Now, when you start seeing us get to like stay the same, that's like around 30 to 40. And then when we get to contracting, that's around, let's say it's, eh, I'd say it's about 20 to roughly 35. And letting you know that the, that the economy itself is starting to contract, which means that people are starting to hold on to a little bit more money and they're not making the, the significant types of investments. To me, I look at that as probably one of the most accurate reads when it comes to the economics as well as when we think about business cycles. So if we think about it, if it's expanding, if the economy is expanding, mm -hmm. then stocks provide more benefits. This is because they are gaining value as earnings improve. Mm -hmm. But if the economy is attracting them, then the bonds are a better investment because they will protect your investment and provide you income. You need to take a water break. Take a water break. Um, you know, I personally prefer when, when the stocks are going crazy. <laughs> that's what I, that's my personal preference. Um, so you said currently we're in 50 to 60 range. Yeah. So the, the interesting part is, is that a lot of folks have, through all the mess and hoopla, mm -hmm. you know, we're still in this expansion phase. Like, you know, we're still in a, the economy is still showing you, the U.S. economy is still showing you signs that it's in expansion. So, you know, we're still, as long as we hang above 50, then we're good. And so far from what I've seen on the economic data reads, we've been hanging, we've been hitting, sitting above the PMI level of, of 50. So I think we saw in one particular area, they were at a 60. Um, and then, I mean, overall we're sitting at probably like about, what is it? I think it, we fluctuate between a 54 and a 56. Okay. So then when we look at this, so let's stay on the stock, on this bond side right quick for a moment. So yep. then when, um, we see that 50 to 60 range for the PMI, mm -hmm. couple that with a low VIX, mm -hmm. then that is. Wouldn't that be like even crazier expansion because the sentiment like the is, is lower and people like risk is on? Yeah. So normally when you get to about a 24 in the VIX and higher than that lets you. So, okay. So here's the reading when we look at the VIX. Mm -hmm. When we get to a 24 in the VIX, typically the market's at, at a stock market correction level. So it's in between, it's a, depending on how the market has moved and also how the, how the VIX has played out, it can be anywhere between a 24 and 26. That's kind of like places us between stock market and bear market territory or stock market correction and bear market territory. It could be one of those levels, um, which is anywhere from a 15 to roughly 20% drop in the S&P 500 index. Okay. So when we break 24 back up to the upside, so for example, or to the downside in the VIX, that's letting you know that essentially that, you know, maybe the fear and say, for example, the short covering is starting to drop and essentially people are becoming more and more bullish in the market. 
So remember how I said like way back when, when you see the QQQs at 360 or above, then that lets you know that the, that the NASDAQ is bullish. Mm -hmm. Naturally, when you see that the VIX has dropped below 24, then that lets you know that we're coming out of those correction territory levels. And of course, you look for some type of stability to be found around the, I'd say about the 18 level, 18 or lower to let you know that, okay, hey, the, pretty much the coast is clear. So we've still got a little bit of ways to run in order for, say, for example, the VIX to get there. But couple all of that together alongside with a bond market that is also starting to stabilize because the bond market is going to immediately react just like anything else. And then over time, it's going to adjust itself and find and find a level. Okay, so now, Mark, so now we're taking PMI. Mm -hmm. We're taking the VIX. Mm -hmm. And now let's throw in, um, let's throw in this balancing act that <laughs> Brother Jerome's got to play. About, yeah, earlier, <laughs> um, and couple that with the Fed, because what we're seeing now is, well, what's interesting is if we just look at the news, right? Yeah. The news, first of all, is on my nerves, but the news <laughs> is feeding like that fear, and it's making people like just forget about like the data so if the data is showing us that we're currently 50 to 60 in the pmi then there really is we could look at these lows really as opportunity not just because it's low but mm -hmm. because it's supported by the u.s like expansion right mm -hmm. like growth so now um we have all these indicators. I'm sure there's some other things to take into consideration, but like if we just stick right here, stop for a moment and pause, what is the tail of the tape right now? Okay, so the tail of the tape right now, when we look at it is, is that inflation did run hot. Mm -hmm. We're starting to see elements in which that we're starting to see that some in, in some areas that inflation is starting to, you know, really cool down and normalize. Mm -hmm. um, we tend to see that when things get a little bit more, okay, they get a little bit, they, they get a little bit more under control. Mm -hmm. Um, and so where we currently sit is that everybody's watching, uh, you know, core inflation. So PCE and, uh, or CP, is it CP, PCE and CP and CPI numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, they're looking at those numbers to see exactly like, okay, hey, have we started to flatten them? Have we started to flatten out? The market has pretty much done a lot of the Fed's heavy lifting for it. So, and what do we mean by that when we say that the market has done a lot of the heavy lifting? So understand this, for a lot of folks that, you know, are really asking, you know, really, like when we think about like what those bonds represent, that's a mixture of corporate and government back, those are government bonds. Now remember, there's a lot of corporate back debt that also the Fed was holding alongside with government debt that it's holding. Now, of course, as it starts to ease off a lot of that stuff off of its balance sheet, that's going to be relying on a lot of those banks or banking institutions to ultimately start to eat that. Now, what does that look like for the overall economy? Like when people say that, okay, hey, that the Fed has raised rates. The Fed raises rates to drive down demand. When you drive down demand, then that ultimately allows you to build up supply. So if you think about in this type of an environment, what drove us into, say, for example, if we're in any type of recession, what has caused this, this quote-unquote recession? It's not because the demand is there, because, of course, if you look at consumer spending data, consumers are spending. If you look at credit markets, credit markets are strong. So what's the problem? It's supply. There's not enough supply to handle the demand, which is ultimately driving up price. But if you can literally influence rates to say, okay, hey, well, we can drive down demand by bringing in more, say, for example, bringing into that cost. Because what happens when what happens when rates go up? What gets impacted? You know, people tend to turn people tend to go. They tend to turn off spending mm -hmm. of using certain vehicles of spending. And they start tapping more. And now you have to find yourself of, do I want to tap into my quote unquote checking or savings? 
does my or does it make better sense for me to hold on to my money and my savings and earn a better interest rate which in this reality cash is trash I, I agree with Ray Dalio um, because the interest rates that you used to get from having a savings account and like within your savings account and it was smart to keep money there mm -hmm. like think about it once upon a time right. having your money in the savings account was just like having a yearly compounded interest return over a period of time just for keeping your money in the bank mm -hmm. that no longer exists anymore so that's the reason why we say that cash is trash. Um, so then the reason why we look at other vehicles, now it's like, okay, hey, we start to see that the bond market is starting to act up. So what does this look like just for everybody as a breakdown? When people go ahead and buy within the bond market, that ultimately will, like when people are selling, then you'll see yields go higher. When yields go higher, a yield is a potential profitability that you can take home from buying that bond. Okay, now that we've gotten that out of the way, when people are buying bonds, then that drives down the yield. It's not like, it's, it's a little bit like stock as it pertains to behavior, but it's a little bit flipped. Because when stocks get bought, the stock price goes higher. Mm -hmm. So which means that essentially your profitability, you know, of course. But then when, when people buy bonds, your, profit, your rate of profitability comes down. So, which means that essentially, like, okay, hey, the more that people are buying, and especially depending on the time, then the rate of, the, of their return is going to start to dwindle. So, you'll go from, let's say, a 3% yield, and then the more that people are buying into bonds, you come down to a 25 or, say, for example, a 2% yield. Now, in an, in, a, in an environment in which we've seen, like, say, for example, we've seen inversions take place, where the 2-year was it, it inverted the 10-year. That meant that people were not willing to pay the, that 2.7 or that 2.8% on the 10-year yield. They weren't willing to buy it because of the fact that they can get a better interest yield on the two-year. So which means that you're, you're holding on for a fraction less of the time, but yet at the same token, you're getting a sizable return. So we've seen all those things play out. So now the, so it went from equities, which was there was no other alternative in the market to invest in, so now the bond market started to act up and now there became opportunity. And with that being said, now how does that come back to Brother Jerome as well as Joe, President Biden? Mm -hmm. Well, now you've seen that the market has started to act up due to, due to supply shocks, which ultimately drove up price because of the fact that demand was there. You had to knock out demand. And when you knock out demand, then that ultimately starts to take the pressure off price and also allows you to build up supplies, supply flows. How do we know this? Look at the semiconductor space between AMD and NVIDIA. They were completely sold out of items last year across the entire board when it came to their inventory. Now their inventory is starting to make its comeback and notice the price. You're starting to see that prices are starting to, the prices have now started to stabilize where you can actually buy products within that space mm -hmm. and they're reasonable now. For example, I showed people the, the chip for my NVIDIA card. Those things were retailing almost up to like five grand just for the, just for the card. Their actual MSRP price was $1,500. What? I didn't know the market went that crazy. It was because, again, scarcity. Right. Scarcity, when there's scarcity in the markets, AKA, write this down, Scarcity, another economic term, when things are scarce, when things become scarce, now it becomes a place in which that, okay, hey, the market becomes very much so active. If you want to get an idea, look at what happened with, the, with baby formula. Look at how that market has completely boomed because of the fact, or has completely gone way expensive, overly inflated because of the fact that there's a scarcity. Now, notice what the U.S. government did. They said, okay, hey, we're getting into a defense production, which means that we need to increase production and everything else. When you do that, that helps drive down price. When you also say, for example, use interest rate hikes to attack demand, that also helps bring down price. And then, boom, this is where we sit. So that's like that balance that we were talking about um, mm -hmm. earlier. Okay, so now if we're looking at... Um, so we looked at we looked at stock market the stock side like those types of indicators. I feel like yep. there was something else 
that was missing, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, and then we looked at bonds and we looked yep. at indicators. So yep. what what's next? So another thing that we're looking at is say, for example, a thing that is called the weighted average cost of capital. Now, this is something in which that a lot of folks aren't really talking about, but you know what? I would ha I would be remiss if I did not give homage to our cousin Q. Shout outs to the run of cousins out there. Um, that where it's like where you have conversations like that, you start having conversations as it pertains to the cost of capital. Now, of course, there's a formula that's built into it, but I'm not going to go too deep because, of, of course, we, we, don't, we won't have that much amount of time for me to, to go through running examples. But I'm going to keep it very much so simple uh, for folks to understand. And I'm going to give you the definition first. So pretty much weighted average cost of capital is a weighted average of a company's cost of debt and cost of equity. A stock is cheap or expensive only in relation to its potential for growth or lack of it. So if a company's share price plummets, its cost of equity rises, also causing its weighted, its weighted, uh, its weighted average cost of capital to rise. So when we think about like, for example, when you start hearing about people talking about, you know, the stock is like the stock is trading at you know ten times earnings or nine times earnings. The stock is considered cheap, and when we can, when we look at what it's doing, a lot of folks for a long period of time looked at Apple as a stock that's traded significantly cheap because of the fact that it's always traded within the teens or the the low twenties as it pertains to it as it pertains to its ratio or its forward earnings. And when we see when we say forward earnings over the next twelve months. Mm -hmm. So when we start to see that say, and how is weighted average costs, like how is that all formulated? So what, to keep it very simple and very basic for everybody, when we think about weighted average cost of capital, think about it like this. The amount of money that you spend, so I'll just remember WACC, the amount of money that you spend, how much of that is going to come back and what does that, what does that produce for the company? So let's just say I go out there and spend, let's say I go out there and spend a million dollars. I go out there and spend a million dollars for a company. In return, what do I expect in me spending that million dollars? What do I expect over the next 12 months or say, for example, 18 months? What do I expect that to bring back to the company? If it's not bringing back, say, for example, a million dollars, then that's not a one, right? If it's, say, for example, bringing back, say, for example, quarter of a million dollars, then, I mean, <laughs> then my, my WACC is going to be pretty low, which means that essentially now if you look at my stock, now that's considered a little bit too high price of a premium because of the fact of what you're able to get back in value versus what is being spent isn't there. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about the cost of capital, when we talk about, say, for example, looking at companies in today's market, you have to look at it in the sense of when you go to their earnings, how much are they spending and what is the value that they're returning? So if Apple is going to be able to borrow $90 billion, but yet Apple over the quarter brings in over $100 billion in revenue, and whatever they're spending $90 billion on is going to bring in, let's say, over a course of, let's say, five to 10 years, a trillion dollars in revenue over time, then that's money well spent. That well, brings back significant value, and the stock is now justified at that price. So this reminds me of a conversation earlier, um, a couple episodes earlier. It could have been last year, I don't remember. But talking about... Um, when the company like looking at a company like amazon over the years taking their money and like reinvesting it back into research and development and seeing it play out over you know years later um, so if we look at that that it that's a that's another really good indicator to see like you know what this company's growth um, trajectory is looking like but you have to look at it but sometimes companies can reinvest mark and it's it's a miss Correct. You know, that is true. I'm trying to think of an example like uh, Rivian. <laughs> Rivian. Well, I was also thinking of like um, Beyond Meat too. 
I don't know how much they've like reinvested into their into their company, but they've made some decisions that are not good overall. Like, here's a here's a cheat sheet, Joanne, for the folks. Here's a cheat sheet for Joanne. Companies that are, say, for example, like a lot of folks look at growth companies and like, okay, hey, well, they look at it like in the sense of discounted cash flows and everything else. Mm -hmm. But the real growth companies, the ones that are literally staging themselves to literally be the next gen of leaders, mm -hmm. they're the ones that you know that they're making money. But instead of them like looking to pay back a dividend so early, they're looking to their dividend that they're paying back into the company is them making that reinvestment back into the company. So that way the company can grow even further and expand. Gotcha. The companies that like naturally focus more so heavily towards returning value to shareholders, ask yourself this, what is it that they're doing over the, over this period of time that since they're returning all this money back to shareholders over a period of time, well, what will, what will they be doing in the next 10 years? Over the next five years that's a good point like you, like like from the mind like I'll, I'll give you a heads up into the mind of like say for example thinking like VCS okay. and why is that they why is it that they drop money into companies and like notice you know VCS it's not like they're just you know we're just we're not just dropping money into companies just willy-nilly that's not how it works I mean of course we have to see that the model the business model is supported by the economics and the economics ultimately validate the business model um but then there's a whole nother part to that we're willing to wait five seven years to see something solidify for it to get to x amount of period of for it to get to x amount of value or for it to return x amount of value over a period of time mm -hmm. you know when paul sue came onto the show that's where you get into that mindset of thinking about the return over time. That's that 100x or that 1000x in which that every VC looks to focus on in a startup that they would invest in, though that the average is about 35x return. And in some cases, on your very beginning funds, it's about maybe 15 to roughly 20x return. So, but when you think about it, it's like they're willing to make the necessary time and say, okay, hey, keep reinvesting that back into the business. Why? Because you go from startup where you're needing capital to growth where you need a little bit of capital, but you more so use that, that cash that you build in reserve to essentially, if you need to, you can use that as leverage as it pertains to borrowing capital later on, whatever you need. And then when you get to a level of scale, you're using that that you're using this consistent cash flow cow that you've literally put together to consistently keep reinvesting into the company, making the business, making the service better. And ultimately, as you're doing those things, the business itself flourishes. Like that's the ultimate point there. Now, I just want to put this on the record now. What time is it? 6.23. Um, so when you all are watching the playback, that last section of what Mark was talking about with the VCs and the value and how you use money and how, like what you're expecting in return. I want you to pay attention to that part because there is something coming down the pike a little later, but I want you to pay attention to that part so that then, you know, those of you who know, will will know. Yes. And, and it's coming a lot quicker than people think. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just, just, just remember that part. It'll make yeah. sense. It'll make sense later. But I'm just telling you now to be aware of that last section. It'll make sense a little later. Okay. Indeed. I mean, I'll sit to that mark because you know. <laughs> you know, my focus. Well, our focus, Jolene, is that people were always knowledgeable, and that when the time came, when they were, when, when it, when it said, "Okay, hey, we out like Harriet. <laughs> Are you ready?" Or are you going to be, you need to go around for the, you need to wait for the next round, for the next bus to come around. Um, but yeah, those are the things that like when we look at in this current climate of today's market, you know, and here's another thing, like I'm going to leave you guys with this final piece of information, you know, where we talk about narratives. Mm -hmm. When you guys look towards the media, like for example, for those in whom we're said, whether you watch CNBC, CNN, MSNBC, notice how the talks of say for example specific markets are also looked at as lacking indicators 
<laughs> like notice the amount of chatter. Like if you get the chance, go back and look at when you started hearing about like, for example, market crashes or bear markets. Uh, if I get the chance, I'll probably post it up on Twitter if I could find a chart that could show that. But every single time when the media gets at its high peak of where it's like, it's now in the conversation of everybody. Excuse me. The interesting thing is, is that's around the same time that the market tends to prepare itself to take a turn. Hmm. It never ceases. It never ceases to fail, but it always happens when, say, for example, like I said, you can use certain things as a barometer to see exactly where you are and say, for example, the narrative cycle, where we are in the economic cycle, but always, again, use the data to always verify and validate. Um, but when you look at businesses, here's the easiest way to look at it, because in the same way that we look at it for startups, mm -hmm. we look at it in the same way for publicly traded companies. The number one question that I've always asked myself when it comes to, you know, signing a term sheet or writing a check towards a startup is, does the business, is it supported by the economics? And does the economics validate that this business belongs? Or is it too ahead of its time? Or whatever it may be. The same rules apply when we look at publicly traded companies. The same rules apply. Like, okay, look at today's current look at the current market of companies look at the companies that are currently happening right now there's a reason why energy is the leading sector and now has started to accumulate some of that weighting in the S&P 500 today it went from being weighted at what two and a half percent to now if we look at it today um, yeah in two in, in December 31st of 2021 S&P 500 energy was at 2.67 here's your homework tonight Go find out exactly what its weighting is today. Go find out exactly what its what its in, what its uh, what its weighting is in the S and P five hundred today. Again, the economics will always support the. They will always validate and verify the business. You just need to know if you're looking at a company. Does the company that you're looking to be invested into, or looking to even trade in the long term, is that business supported by the economics? If it's not. Then there's a problem. Boom. Well, we have two minutes, but we do need to announce um, some things. One, Sector Sundays. Oh, excuse me. Oh, I am like in a time zone right now. Okay, sorry. Supplemental Sundays. <laughs> come in on. It will take, be taking place this Sunday, so be sure to come back on Sunday um, to our channel to check that out um and that's just it's a really good opportunity to kind of like you know you get in where you fit in and fill in gaps and in information that um maybe during this show we don't have enough time to go over so there may be you know more explanation on sundays so it's a good time to, to bring another pen pencil whatever and take notes and you know it almost feels like financial church you know like so you know fellowship and uh finance so Mark, yes, we'll be back on Tuesday. Yes, Next we will. Week. Yes, we will. And you know, I'm, I may be in a different location next Tuesday, just as a heads up. Maybe you will be, Mark. No, I will be. I will be. Will I will be. be in a different location. I will be on. I'll be in a different oh, time a zone. Time zone too. Okay, make sure you. You know. Oh no, I'm. You know, I'm coming through like coffee out here. <laughs> Okay. okay. No, I don't drink it, but I'm coming through like it. Well, I definitely do. <laughs> all right, Mark. So that's it. That's all she wrote. This was very, very informative. Per <laughs> usual. Um, I hope I didn't overload everybody with too much information and go too so. too much in depth. But if, but that's the beautiful thing about it being on YouTube. You can always come back and rewatch it and upon the replay. <laughs> Yo, y'all, thank you so much for rocking with us. Hopefully that you had some great insight. Share this video with someone that you may know that is interested in getting into the stock market or somebody that even needs a little bit of, you know, to be consoled and understand and a little bit more further perspective. This will greatly help. And honestly, again, just keep learning, keep researching, because the more you learn, the more you earn. And it's not always about what's happening right now. Sometimes you have to look further 
and see exactly what things look like in the grander design. Until next time, I'm Mark Monroe. And I'm Jalen GC in the place to be. And this was hopefully your come up. Thank you for rocking with us here at the School of Investing. We'll see you next Tuesday. Peace, y'all.